everybody. Arya Masudi and Brett Nevitt here. Sunday Gold's a Florida State baseball podcast. Florida State, another series win over the Troy Trojans. And now the Knolls are 23-16 and 16 on the season. Uh, Brett, uh, you were in attendance for all three games and um, doing your great coverage that you do for Tomahawk Nation. Those of you that don't follow Brett already on uh, on Twitter, Brett PN, um, that's a, a really... Um, useful Florida State baseball resource, and um, please do follow his work. So I know I think on the surface, Florida State dropping a game to Troy might seem a little disappointing, but nonetheless, what we ask for on this podcast always is just take two of three, win the series, and and keep moving forward. Um, But before we dive into each of the games, um, I wanted to ask you your your overall thoughts uh, from a macro level on the weekend for the Knowles. Yeah, obviously, you know, going into it, we really want to sweep. And um, you're pretty grateful for a series win coming out of it after, um, you know, what it looked like through halfway on on Sunday. But I thought Troy was a much better team than their record shows. Uh, I thought their Friday and Saturday guys were solid starters. I thought their lineup was deep. Um, you know, I just think that that team is, is has a chance to go to a postseason play despite what their record looks like so far. Um, you know, they had good bullpen arms as well. Um, you know, short term, it's it's not not good for Florida State. I think to to lose that, you know, not good on the surface, like you said, not great looking. But um, you know, long term, the way Florida State had to battle out some wins there and some close wins, and um, you know, use their bullpen in different ways, and you know, try to get runs in different ways when they could. I think long term, it it could be a good thing for Florida State the way they had to battle this weekend. Yeah, you know, Brett, and and these weekends are tricky just because you're in conference play for so long, and then all of a sudden it's a non-conference series. And again, you know, going into it, we asked for a sweep. We, we thought that it was possible. Um, obviously, the Knowles came up short in that benchmark. But um, playing a team like Troy, who is a southeastern team, um, they are in the Sun Belt, uh, a conference that has some pretty good baseball, and especially at the plate. They have some kids that can really swing it. Florida State has fallen to Sun Belt teams before, um, they've been upset before by, by some of those programs. And um, the reason is, and, and we laid it out, I thought, in the podcast, is that um, Troy is in the state of Alabama, for those of you that don't know. So those kids play baseball year-round. It's a lot of kids that they get from Georgia, from Florida, and a lot of them go under the radar. Um, they might be kids that, you know, the big schools, quote-unquote, might have missed on some of these these players, and then they go to these smaller schools and they ball out. Um, South Alabama has a, a roster full of really underrated guys. We've seen Coastal Carolina in the past um, win a, a college world series with uh, those underrated players. Um, we've seen Troy in the past. They're they're an excellent squad, an excellent program, and um, I can name so many more of those uh, Sun Belt teams. But they do get kids that play baseball, so it's a lot different than playing. Um, someone from the Northeast who hasn't had, you know, baseball really for maybe half the year and they're just still coming into form. But um, I think it'll be tricky for Miami, by the way, coming up. They play Appalachian State um, in Coral Gables, but that's going to be a tricky series for them. Um, So, yeah, Florida State only took one. um, But I think, again, you won two out of three. You went up in all the rankings. I think FSU is now as high as 13, according to Perfect Game, and um, they actually went up, according to D1 Baseball. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Knowles, you know, it, it's still moving towards that goal of, of trying to at least lock up an NCAA tournament bid. And if you want to host a regional, 
Um, I think maybe losing one to Troy wasn't the best case scenario for that, but um, you didn't hurt yourself, I don't think, by losing one, and, and you still have those opportunities ahead of you to play you know, a Notre Dame, a, a Clemson um, coming up here the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think you hurt yourself because you also got um, a good win against Stetson midweek. Um, you know, going three and one against Troy, is, it's not something easy, I don't think. I mean, those are both solid teams. And, you know, I thought Troy played really solid all weekend, really didn't give anything to FSU, made FSU win, earn those wins, I thought. Um, I don't know if Troy made an error all weekend. I can't really remember one. Um, they also had some really nice defensive plays as well. And, you know, their fielding percentage wasn't very good coming into the weekend, but they made every play that they could have made out there. Um, yeah, and I just thought that they made Florida State work and. Um, you know, Florida State hasn't had many close wins this year. You get a one-run win on Friday. You get a two-run win on on Sunday coming from behind. Uh, those are things Florida State hasn't done much this year. So to see them do it um, in a weekend that they could have easily overlooked, um, looking forward to Notre Dame and playing a team like Troy where this is kind of a, you know, this is a bigger deal to Troy than Florida State, obviously, I think. Um, so just to, to come out of here with a series win, you take it. Um, I don't think you can look at it negatively too much. Um, obviously you want some more runs, but Florida State's also coming off a weekend where they scored 30 runs at Georgia Tech. So, um, you know, short term, it is a worry, but, you know, Florida State has shown this year that they can put up runs. They just, um, you know, you see, you see some of those holes this weekend, and I just think that Florida State will work on that this week to share those up a bit. Yeah, I think you nail it, Brett, because these teams do come in and it's, the biggest weekend of their season. And, you know, for Troy and those smaller program schools, I mean, the truth is, like, for a lot of them, like, at-large bids are nearly impossible to get. You have to win your conference tournament. Um, that's just the way that that world works um, down in the mid-majors and below. So um, I'm sure getting a, big, a win for Troy was huge. Um, they probably felt like it bolstered any case that they might have moving forward. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like the energy levels are different for both squads. And I think it's a little weird for Florida State where this was placed. I mean, you're coming off a, a pretty high high of a series win in Atlanta, and you're about to go to a top 10 team on the road as well. So you have this non-conference game late in the season, you know, sandwiched in between there where usually you'd probably be playing Troy in the second week of the season. Um, so just I think the focus level is a little bit different. Um, but uh, like, I mean, I just, I, I know it's hard to, for me to look at it and say this was a negative weekend. I think the way that Sunday was won was, was very good win for me. And I thought Friday was also a good win. Uh, just some bad in ball. I thought there was some bad ball luck on, on Saturday, but Florida state needs to grind more than they did. I thought, um, you know, didn't help RPI too much, but, um, I think you take a three in one week for sure. No doubt. And, you know, we're going to dive into these these games, and um, that doesn't mean we don't have certain concerns about, you know, areas of this this team right now. But overall, you can't be disappointed with the weekend. I think the only disappointment was that we both felt like there was a solid shot of a sweep. Um, and, again, you know, sweeps are hard to have in baseball. They really are difficult to obtain, and that's why, like, when you have those chances, you, you want to take advantage. And um, Florida State just could not get a, a third win on the weekend. My only thing is – I don't think sweeping makes too big of a difference in the, I don't think it would have made any difference in the rankings. And I don't think it would have made much of a difference in RPI as well. Um, obviously Florida state dropped a lot more than they would have, but even if they had won these games, Florida state wasn't moving up much in RPI. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I don't think. And I also personally just don't think RPI is going to be as huge of a deal this year. Yeah. And I hope you're right. I think nobody really knows what the criteria will be. 
um, because we're in a weird year um, overall. So yeah, the Knolls are uh, 23 and 16 right now. And um, let's let's dive into some of this stuff because Friday's game, uh, once again, Parker Messick, wow, um, he was really good. Um, I know through six innings, he was fantastic and didn't have any walks, nine strikeouts. That's that's what you want. Um, and then in that seventh inning, Troy put together some really good at-bats and, and chased him. Um, but Jack Anderson did his job, came in, limited the damage, and then finished the thing out for a 3-2 win for FSU. Yeah, I mean, Parker had only given up one hit through four innings and really nothing, I mean, nothing else, and striking out a lot of guys. Um, you know, fifth inning, they get a couple hits. Sixth inning, they get another couple hits. And then fourth inning, they just really start. I mean, this shows you how deep this this Troy lineup is really. I mean, the most hits Parker had given up all year coming into this game was was six. And in the last his last two-plus innings of work, he got – he gave up eight hits to this lineup and um, you know, some of them were weekly hit, I thought, but some of them were also, you know, some good line drive contact, but um, you know, Parker still battles, you know, works six scoreless before getting into that trouble in this, in the seventh, like you said, um, Florida state makes a big defensive play for him as well. Um, you know, I think um, you know, a ball to that right center field gap, Robbie just misses getting to it in the air, but tracks it down, doesn't let it get to the wall. Nanner makes a heads up play and gets the runner at home. Um, that's a huge deal because that, that's a run-saving play right there. You end up winning by one. Those are kind of the plays that Florida State hasn't made this year when they've lost one-run games. For, so to, for me to see that big defensive play um, and it, it lead to a one-run win, those are the winning plays that Florida State needs to make moving forward, and that was really good to see, I thought. Um, and like you said, Anderson was really good. Just, you know, I thought he very, you know, there was some high, high leverage right there at the beginning, but he looked like he was calm and in control. Um, gave up one hit that allowed the second run to come in. But, um, you know, I thought, you know, once he's in there clean and clean innings, that's where he really does his best work. And um, you saw that with two, one, two, three innings to, to, to end the game. I think seven straight retired to end the game. So that was really good to see him close that out. Also really good to see Elijah Cabell go to right center field. Um, I think that's home run number 11 now on the year for Elijah. And um, in this game, you know, uh, one for two, couple RBIs, a, a walk as well. I think Elijah's starting to come into form a little bit. Um, at least he's becoming the best version of the type of player that Elijah Cabell is. I think we're seeing Cabell mature as, as a hitter, as a player. Um, he's gotten really so much better in, in many areas this year as the year has gone on. I think he's been good defensively recently. Um, you know, he stole two bases this weekend. He hadn't stolen a base all year. Um, you know, he's starting to make contact on balls and two strike pitches that you hadn't seen before. The K rate's still up there, and the K rate is going to be up there. But when Elijah is utilizing the opposite field, he's really hard to get out. Um, you know, two his homer comes on a two strike breaking ball that you know he waits back on and hits at the opposite field. Meet was saying after the game how important that is for him to do and be able to see the ball deep. When he sees the ball deep, he's got enough power to drive it out anywhere. So he doesn't need to be out in front and hitting balls out to left field. I mean, especially in, in, in you know at home here, he can just line that ball over the fence pretty easily. So that's really good to see. And then, you know, I thought Nelson had a really good game again on Friday. You know, doesn't get the homer, but has a productive out in the first inning, sack fly, throws out his 13th runner of the year. I think, you know, that was the only time Troy tried to steal the whole weekend because, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was throwing him out from the, from the knees. I believe it was a 1.89 pop time, and it made him 50%. He's throwing out 50% of runners now this year. Um, I think Troy, after that, just shut it down completely. Um, and that just shows you the impact that Nelson has. 
Yeah, I think it was from one knee, and, and it looked very reminiscent of uh, a Buster Posey type of throw down to second. Um, and, and you know what? We've talked about Matt Nelson all year, and he just continues to get better. He keeps impressing, and, um, man, he's been he's been fun to watch, folks. I mean, that's that guy that guy is, is one of the best players in Florida State history. Like, you're, you're getting it up there now. Like, this is one of the greatest seasons in FSU history, and, um, you know, the, this is fun. Enjoy him while it lasts, and – you know, obviously, if Florida State makes a, any type of deep run, Matt Nelson's going to be a catalyst. Yeah, and I just wanted to add one other thing on, on Messick was no no free passes, the whole his whole 6.1 innings. I think that was the second time this year he hasn't allowed a free pass. So that was really good to see, and he was attacking his own the whole game. But, yeah, like you said, Nelson also, you know, catching him and helping, giving him some help as well. I think that throughout was in the fifth inning um, with a runner on base and retired one of those singles. There was another single after that. So ended up being another big out from the defense. Um, so I thought it was a pretty solid defensive weekend for Florida State overall. You know, still an error every, every game, but, um, you know, didn't really make them hurt too bad, I thought. Yeah. Um, shout out Tyler Martin, two for four in this one, reaching base a couple more times, scored a run. Um, I do want to make a point real quick with Cabell. You know, you mentioned the, the the strikeouts. I think, you know, he's as close to a big league hitter that, that Florida State has in terms of the way that he approaches the game. Um, I think of some of the sluggers, right, in the major leagues, like those quote-unquote sluggers. Um, if they strike out twice, say they have four at-bats, Brett. If they strike out twice, but in their other two or three at-bats, it's a walk and it's a home run. I mean, I think you're taking that. I mean, that's Elijah Cabell's ability to change a ball game, right? Like, that's why he's in the lineup. I don't. I think we can accept that he's not a four-average hitter, um, and I'm not sure that he will be in his career, even if he gets a shot in the MLB. He's always going to be the guy that um, – I don't want to compare him to like a Joey Gallo or, or some of the other guys that have low averages but also <laughs> impact a game over a course of 162 for, for the season. But Cabell, to me, is like, is like that, right? Like if you give me four opportunities and two end in strikeouts and the other two end in on base and one of those two of on base is a home run or a big-time hit – I think he's done his job in this lineup. I mean, Elijah's got an OPS over 1,000 right now. I mean, he's the second highest on the team, I believe. Um, he's giving you second – I mean, behind Nelson, he's probably giving you the most game-changing impact in the lineup. I mean, he's hitting nearly 270. Uh, I think coming into the season, but we would we said we would take 250 with the homers. and So I think 270 right now with the homers is I – mean, I mean, it's as good as – that's as good as Florida State can wish for right now. And I think – Cabell is playing his best baseball. He's played at Florida State since, um, you know, coming off the bench at Georgia Tech. Uh, I think he's got a five-game hitting streak right now, which is a career high. So, yeah, I mean, he's got 52 strike counts and 101 at-bats, but he's also got, you know, he's also got 11 homers, 28 RBIs. He's got – he's throwing in 20 walks too. So, yeah, I think you, you, you take every bit of how Elijah Cabell is playing right now and you run with it. And I think the only other thing to me that stood out – um, for Florida State is uh, you take what you can get from Jackson Green at the bottom of the order. Uh, he had a base hit. Um, you take it. I mean, if that's if he gives you that, that changes your lineup a little bit at the bottom. And um, Florida State wins three to two. Uh, we should shout out, by the way, uh, Garrett Gaines for Troy. I, I know you want to make a point um, about the bottom of the order, but uh, after you do that, the the, the Gaines kids from local uh, Cairo High School, and he's pitching in front of his family and friends and a lot of family and friends. And, and the Gaines kid's one of those guys that I mentioned earlier. They, they get overlooked by some of these big programs, and his stuff was, was really good on Friday night. Yeah, I think Gaines was 92-94 um, early on, might have settled in at 90-92, to 92, something like that. 
Um, thought his stuff was pretty good. Had a, I don't. I think he might have had two breaking balls. Don't really know. Um, there are a couple of different variations he was thrown in there. Um, you know, worked efficiently. Definitely gave Florida State some troubles. Um, worked out of some, you know, some jams there. But um, no, one other thing I wanted to mention. I just thought Watt Corral had a pretty sneaky good game. You know, just one hit. But um, I th- believe this was the game he had one catch in the outfield that I thought was pretty. Um, I thought he covered a ton of ground really quick. I think it was a catch in right center field. So that was really good to see. Um, you know, in center field, I don't doubt Crowell's athleticism at all. It's just he needs more reps and reps and reps and, you know, more learn the, the little things about playing out there again after, you know, not really doing it for all fall and, you know, most of the spring going into the season. So um, you definitely see the raw ability out there in center field. It's, um, you know, learning this stuff, you know, where to throw the ball right now to the cutouts and where FSU wants them to be. So, um, you know, he definitely flashed in this first game, I thought, defensively. Cool. Let's move on to, to Saturday. I know that's the result that a lot of people were frustrated about. Ironically, um, Florida State got out hit on Friday and won the game. On Saturday, Florida State out hits Troy by three. And this is, I think you're right, you know, um, there were some, some unlucky moments for Florida State. So, Brett, um, I'll let you kind of go through your overall thoughts on the 3 nothing loss to Troy on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know nobody wants to hear after getting shut out that, you know, we were unlucky. And, you know, I do think Florida State should still win this game. Even if they're unlucky, they should find other ways to win. They should find other ways to score, find other ways to put pressure on teams. But I just felt like there was a lot of bad ball luck the entire game. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I think Tyler Martin led off the game with a line out to left field. Um, you know, after Lacey singles in the first, Nelson grounds into a double play that a ball was probably hit 100 miles per hour off the bat. Um, you know, there's some others. Um, the one that, the real big one that comes to mind is, you know, Robbie Martin lifts a fly ball to the very, I mean, right to the wall in left field with two outs and the bases loaded. Um, you know, I think a lot of other days that ball probably leaves the park. I thought it was gone after the off the bat. Wind was blowing in. Um, you know, there was another double play that I thought a ball was hit hard. I think it was Lacey's off the bat of Lacey. Um, you know, can't you know Lacey had another ball with two runners on base that was tattooed to left field. The left fielder ran that one down as well. Um, it was just it was a, it was a tough day early on. One through six, I thought swung the bat well. There's been days where Florida State has not swung the bat well, and they've scored a lot of runs. There's also been days that Florida State's swung the bat well and, and not scored many runs. Um, you know, the bottom order was, was really this, the spot where I thought FSU was hurt. I believe they were 0 for 10 with 8 Ks. Um, Nander was 0 for 3 with 3 Ks for the second straight day. Um, Romano, Mathis, and Baldor combined for 0 for 4 with 3 Ks in that 8 spot. Um, you know, Green does get hit by pitch one time, but he also goes 0 for 3. Um, you know, it, it was just every, it seemed like the big moments either came down to Robbie's big, uh, fly out or that bottom three. I think Nander had a three stranded and green had two stranded. Um, you know, I think it, when you get production from Nander, like you got at Georgia tech, you see a completely different offense. And that's why I think I tweeted something to the, the fact of when Nander goes, his offense goes. And, you know, some people turn their eyes at that and say, well, then I don't think we're in a very good spot. But what I mean by that is 
when you get production from Nander, it's a completely different offense from when you don't. It's just a much deeper offense. I think Nander's the glue guy at the bottom. I think Lacey's the glue guy at the top. So if those two guys are going for you, I think you'll be fine. If one of them's not, you've got some trouble. Um, this was the first game, and I think 10 games, Florida State didn't have a homer and they didn't score. So that's definitely worrisome. But the swings weren't as bad as, as, as you know, the run column results, I think. Yeah, and you know, I think my, my major takeaways from this is that, once again, you pitched at a high level. Um, you went into the sixth inning with no runs given up, and Bryce Hubbard, hat tip to Bryce. Bryce has figured it out. I mean, there's, there are still, you know, moments where you're like, uh, you know, Bryce can get better here and there, but, dude, uh, can I shout out the entire starting pitching for Florida State this weekend? Zero walks from three guys. You heard that right, folks. Zero walks from your starters. I mean, FSU had zero walks. I mean, they had no walks in 26 of 27 innings this weekend. That's, that's big time. And I think, you know, I, I know I'm kind of going back to macro level. Um, man, if you pitch at this level, you have a shot. You're going to have a shot. I don't care if you're playing Vanderbilt or if you're playing Troy. If you pitch at this level, um, this Florida baseball team, by the way, is killing it, right? They, they just beat Vandy twice. FSU pitched against them in that lineup, which is incredible, and two times has basically shut down that lineup. So this Florida State team, for those of you who are trying to find what is the reason for optimism, why are Arya and, Arya and Brett always coming on here and, and, and so optimistic? Because you can't look at this pitching staff and what they do on a week in, weekend and then week in and week out and not say, man, I, I feel really good that this team is going to be in the ball game. And I, I, we're going to talk about Notre Dame later on, but I promise you Florida State's going to be in the ball game in, the, in, in, in uh, South Bend because they pitch. And Bryce gave you everything he could. Bryce gave you every chance and gave that offense a chance. And to me, offense um, in college baseball, it's not for every single team, right? Um, it's like three-point shooting in basketball. Some nights it's there, and it's going to look amazing when your three-point shots are going down or where the bats are hot. And the nights that your three-point shot's not going, um, you're going to look pretty pretty cold, right? You're going to look pretty bad. And I think that's Florida State's offense in a nutshell, um, if you want the uh, comparison or the, the uh, analogy, right? It's like three-point shooting in hoops. Um, this offense, when it's, when it's firing, um, it looks really good like it did at Georgia Tech. Um, this weekend against Troy, I think it scuffled a little bit. Uh, but as long as you, you pitch the way you do, Bryce Hubbard, I mean, man, he was really good. And then Hunter Purdue came in, and Brett, I know you want to touch on this as well, but the way Florida State has now used um, Purdue and Anderson back-to-back nights, it's something that you called for um, and something that you wanted. Yeah, I mean, going back to Hubbard, I mean, he's perfect through 16 batters in the game. Um, he couldn't have been throwing the ball any better. Um, gives up a you know a 1-0 homer, I think, or I think it was a 1-0 count or a 2-0 count, something like that. I believe it was a hanging changeup. Batter just got it, um, left the yard pretty quick. Um, you know, next inning you get a leadoff double followed by a balk. He, you know, gets a strikeout to, to, you know, he gets that big strikeout before he comes out of the game, but then you have an error that results in the run coming in anyways. So the line ends up being two runs, but the way that Bryce threw was uh, – it couldn't have been any better. I mean, 6.1 inning pitch, two hits, no walks, no free – I mean, no hit by pitches – this is what we have been asking for because when Bryce does this, he's unhittable, and that's what he showed. I mean, 12, you know, career-high 6.1 inning pitch, career-high 12 Ks. Um, he had 89 pitches. Efficiency was there. Command was there. Attacked the zone. First time as a starter that he did not allow a free pass this season. Um, I believe he's given up 
you know, I think he's given up three earned runs or two earned runs in in his last three starts over about 16 innings or 17 innings. Um, you know, he had that two game stretch where he struggled against Wake and um, I can't remember the other one, Louisville. Um, but since then, he's been dominant. Um, I think you've got a really good t- number two starter there and a really solid guy, and you can count on him a lot. Um, yeah, I did like uh, how Purdue threw. I believe he was up to 98 or 99 at one point. Um, I think we'll talk more about the bullpen usage after. But, yeah, I thought Purdue was good. Um, yeah, you just you didn't get any timely hits. I mean, you were 0 for 16 with runners on, over 10 with runners in scoring position, over 7 with two outs. Three for 18 in advancement opportunities. Um, you know, the two times, and you also have two double plays at end innings. Um, just you, you couldn't get anything to go your way this game at all. I think we've talked about, too, the recipe for Florida State is when the home runs aren't flying out of the park, the offense tends to struggle a little bit. Robbie Martin was a foot away from a grand slam. Um, I, you know, baseball, I don't like to, to do the thing where you go, if he had hit it, then the game would be different because it's a butterfly effect for me where – you know, there is that domino effect in, in baseball. I don't know how Troy would have responded or whatnot, but I will say that a four-run um, big blast like that, a grand salami, does change everything, especially when you have Florida State's pitching staff. So I, um, you were you could you could make the point, Brett, Florida State was a foot away from sweeping uh, Troy. The one thing I really didn't like from this game was kind of the body language from FSU's hitters. It kind of just seemed like they were pretty down on themselves when the, the hits wouldn't fall. It seemed like it, it just it just ended quickly for them after Robbie's didn't go out. And then, you know, once Troy got on the board, it kind of just felt like a little bit lifeless, like we saw with Pitt, I kind of thought, game two back way way back when. I think Meet after said, said after the game that he told the guys that they can't be, you know, woe is me. Like, I hit the ball hard, but you still, got, you still have to go out there and grind the at-bats and, you know, just keep going through the process and waiting for the hits to fall. You can't be woe is me. Um, you know, and I thought we saw that for the first couple innings the next day, but you know, once they finally got a spark, then, then I, I felt like it started to turn back to, you know, just grinding out at bats. And I, I like the way we saw that kind of turn on Sunday later in the day. Yeah. You know, and the bullpen comes in and only gives up a hit through uh two and two thirds. Um, Scalaro, Jonah came in and did his job, um, in the batter that he was asked, uh, Davis came in and, and, and got the strikeout in the batter that he was asked. Um, and those were some, some pretty important moments. So, um, Kudos to them for, for getting the job done. Um, what was it, a three pitches for Jonah on a ground down and I think four pitches for Hare and, and a strikeout? Yeah, they were efficient. And you look at their ERA as Jonah 241 now and Davis at, a I think, a, a 225, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Florida State's bullpen's deep, folks, and this is what you can do. You know, you can mix and match guys, go lefty on lefty if you need to with a, with a Jonah Scalaro. Uh, uh, Davis can come in and, and get you an out, and, and then you have guys like a Purdue and – and Anderson, and then we'll talk about Ross Dunn uh, a little bit later on um, for the next game. But um, you've got, you've we got, pitch, man. Brett, we pitch. You've got four relievers with 13-plus appearances that have an ERA, two, seven, six or lower. And, you know, you have Haney, who's your matchup guy, who does the things that you want him to do, does not having the best ERA, but still gets you those ounce when you need from him, like you saw the next day. I mean, Ahern has a 405, but Ahern's out here throwing 95, 97. Um, you know, you're just starting to use Dunn really more, and same with Crowell, and those guys both have ERAs under two five. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if you can find a better bullpen than this in the country. I, I think you'd have to look really hard. Team ERA three twenty. That plays, man. I mean, I saw a graphic earlier today that had Florida State, you know, strikeouts per nine innings, and it's compared to the the Vanderbilts of the world, the South Carolinas of the world. You you're up there. 
this pitching staff, I very am, I'm very comfortable saying this on the record. It's one of the best pitching staffs in the entire country. Yes. This is it, not a it, team. It's the best in the ACC. Yeah, you're, if you see Florida State in a regional, you're going to go, oh, man, they hit the bombs and they pitch at a very high level. That's not a team I, I really want to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, good stuff from you guys. Um, those of you, you know, who are, who are on the mound for FSU, really, really proud of what you guys have been able to do this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, nice to know that your starters can give you, I think, what, two of the three went into the seventh? Mm-hmm. Correct. And uh, Connor gave you a career high, thirteen strikeouts, and and was the was it the uh, national player of, yeah. pitcher of the week? One of the national, I think, collegiate baseball newspaper does about five to ten guys, and he was one of those um, you know national players of the week this week. Now let's talk about Sunday's game. Florida State showed, I think, some toughness coming back down. It could have gone sideways. You texted me, I think, in the, t- <laughs> the top of the fifth. This is bad. Yeah, you texted me. You're like, oh. <laughs> I don't think you wanted to think about um, how to do this podcast on a loss. Like, I don't think I don't think you would have wanted to come on here after a series loss. I don't think we would have had a lot of fun. But give Florida State credit. Um, let's start with Connor Grady. I think that's that's the guy who set the tone for you. Um, five innings, no walks, thirteen strikeouts, just one earned run. Uh, his ERA is now back down into the uh, what is it three? What is he three nine one? If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, he's back mm-hmm. under four. Uh, really good for a Sunday guy, and uh, Grady did did what he wanted, what you wanted him to do. On a Sunday, he finds a way to give you a chance to to win the series. Yeah, I mean, Connor allowed some hard contact, but like you said, he just gave Florida State to win it, win the series. And um, you know, when they had hard contact, it just seemed like it was early in the count, and you know, getting some fastballs early in the count. But when Connor was able to get ahead and, 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 you know, you know, get to the off speed and work off the off speed and, you know, you know, also throw in the fastball and just freeze guys. Um, you know, the, uh, they, they were just flailing all over the place against him. Um, I believe Connor had, you know, somewhat of 19 swing and misses induced. Um, my favorite part, I know he set a career high with his strike counts, but you know, last week he really struggled with the command, lost it quick. It seems like I think he had three walks and got three ounce, I mean, he had no walks and, you know, 70% strikes. Um, he was just attacking the zone the whole day, and um, that was really good to see. And, you know, he got, you know, some crucial outs in the third inning as well that lead to this win, I think. I think, you know, that third inning, um, you know, that you have that misplay in center field. I, it kind of felt like Florida State was sort of starting to crumble. Um, and I thought your veteran, you know, gave you a boost right there, gave you a bit of a kickstart. Um, you know, Connor goes – uh, you know the runner on third, no outs after the after the error in center, and you and you get a strikeout, huge play from from Lacey on a diving stop at third base, and then another strikeout to end the inning. You know without letting another run in, just one un- unearned. So um, I mean five innings, one earned run, 13 Ks. Um, you know did give up seven hits, but was able to work around it with those strikeouts. So yeah, I mean you, you know what happened at Georgia Tech is not going to happen often with Connor and. Uh, you know, every time Connor's on out there on the mound in a rubber match, I, I, I really feel like you feel like you have the upper hand um, every Sunday. That's what I love about Connor Grady, man. He doesn't let one start compound into two starts, and then he comes back out. and um, He's just we, – we've talked about this so much. He's the perfect guy on a Sunday, right? Like, I'm convinced that he wipes his memory <laughs> – before every weekend and doesn't remember what happened the week before because he comes out and he just gives you um just such a composed presence on the mound even when he's getting hit hard like you look at his you look at his composure and you look at his demeanor and Connor's just in complete control of himself 
Um, Mike Martin Sr., me, uh, 11, used to always, he used to overuse, he's in complete control of his emotions. Like, he said that about, I felt like, every pitcher. Um, but it actually does fit Connor Grady. And I always imagine it in my head that, that 11 is saying he is in complete control. He, what is it? He's in total control of his emotions out there. And that was an 11-ism. So, um, man, Connor Grady was good. He gave you a shot. Shout out to the bullpen again. They go, uh, let's see, three and a third. And uh, actually more than that, excuse me. Four full. Four, four, four full. Four full, excuse me. Uh, looked at, I missed one guy in there. I missed Haney's uh, .2 innings. And uh, shout out to Chase. Came in and did his job in two thirds. And um, that's, that's, that's the veteran presence you want from Chase. Big, big locker room guy, clubhouse guy, veteran. And um, when you ask him to come on. And there were some big moments that they, they asked um, him to pitch in, in this weekend. And um, then Ross Dunn comes in. And, man, I, I think that's the future, right? Like, like you look at what he can do. Is, is Ross Dunn a, a future starter, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's next year exactly because you, you still got Hubbard and you've got Messick and you've got Montgomery. But I think by that third year, I'd be surprised. I'd be pretty shocked if Dunn's not in that rotation. Um, this future of this Florida State pitching staff is it's it is some it's something else, man. Like you, you've probably got top five round picks in Messick, Hubbard, um, Montgomery, Dunn, and Crowell. Um, you know, you also got B-Walk is always that X factor that could always turn into something really good out of that back end. Um, you're in really good hands moving forward with this staff. And to see what Ross did on Sunday was extremely exciting. Um, you know, Meat brings him in after Haney gets those two big outs. Um, you know, I think Chase had, you know, a nice play on a, a bunt and then, a, you know, a three-pitch strikeout. Um, you know, getting the two hit right-handed hit- hitters like he's asked to do. And then Dunn comes in to face the lefties and you go – 93 on the black for strike one, you know, gross curveball for swing and miss strike two and another spiked curveball, you know, kind of a waste pitch, but you still get, um, you know, basically just a sword of a swing at it. And I mean, it was just a, he made the hitter look like he had never hit before. Um, And then, you know, you go, you you give him a meat sentence back out there for the eighth inning with a one run lead. And he goes one, two, three inning. I mean, he threw 11 total pitches. He gets three ground downs. One really nice play by Jackson Green. Um, almost looked impossible, but, man, that was a really nice play. Um, really made up for that error the day before. And like we've said, Jackson is – if there was a gold glove award in the ACC for second baseman, I think he would get it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the bullpen the whole weekend. I mean, Jack goes another – I mean, he gives up one hit, but he goes eight pitches to end the game. And it was really – I mean, really good all weekend um, from the bullpen – um, I think we'll talk about the usage, like we said, a little bit after this, but just really good work all around. Yeah. Um, Florida State, to get a big home run from Davis Hare. How about that? Uh, you've been clamoring for him to, to be the everyday um, DH. Um, really a no-brainer if there's a lefty on the, on the hill. Um, and now I, he homered righty-righty to, to left center, which is not a, a short part of the bark. And uh, Davis Hare has earned his chance, I think. I think, um, I think you're right. Yeah, FSU was you know not swinging it very well through those first four innings. I thought um, Troy Starter had basically didn't have a forcing fastball. Was throwing FSU cutters and it was really giving them fits early on, and they didn't really adjust very quickly to it. But I think once they got through that lineup second time around and third time around, they started to see it better. It was kind of nose diving on them at 87, 88, and they were just swinging over it. But once they got into their bat bats and got comfortable against it, you know I thought good swings late in the game. Davis was really the spark for them. I mean, leads off the fifth inning with the, with a double that was absolutely ripped into the left center field gap. 
Um, you know, it does be down at the double two. I think center fielder cut it off, but Davis still got there, which was pretty good to see. Um, you know, Nander falls with a first or second pitch single into center that was ripped as well. So that was really good to see. He kind of broke out of that weekend drought that he was having so far. Um, and then, you know, Davis, you know, two innings later gives you, or no, the next inning actually gives you the lead on a solo shot. And, you know, the Florida State goes one, two, and the first two batters that didn't go down in order. And then Davis gets in a favorable account and, um, you know, three, one count, he gets a slider and he hits it out of the park down in the zone. Um, you know, Davis hit and Juco hit like 250 or so at Wallace. Uh, but, you know, he came here as a pitcher because he had a one five ERA as well. And we've seen why he is a pitcher too. But um, I, this is your everyday DH moving forward. Um, it lengthens your lineup. Um, it gives you more extra base hits. I think he has five extra base hits and 22 at bats. Um, I believe he has, uh, I think he's hitting four, four, 409 through 22 at bats. Um, you know, small sample size, but you've got to ride him now until, until, you know, he just starts to struggle and teams adjust to him. But I mean, he's out there just taking, you know, sort of like slow pitch softball hacks to me. Like it's just, when you throw some of these guys in, it's not so much think it's not so much think and think, you know, you're not overthinking. You're just there to swing. And, um, you know, when you're kind of loose like that, it helps guys out. And I just love the way he's swinging the bat right now. And, um, you know, like Parker earlier on the season, these guys really rally around him and like, you know, seeing what he does. And um, it, it's fun. It's fun to watch, I think. Don't they call those, what, is it like daddy hacks? Daddy hacks, yeah. yeah. Like John Boy and then and the, the Barstool guys. Like those are, that's what you call those. I mean, Parker was taking them early on. Um, I remember talking to Parker's family a little bit uh, at the Georgia Tech series in Atlanta, and they were just kind of talking about how much fun he was having just hitting again and you go up there, and, and Davis is loose, you know, and, and he's having fun. He's he's hunting fastballs, and when he gets them, um, was this pitch was the pitch against Troy an off speed pitch that he hit out? Yeah, slider. So, so that's that's kind of a a tick in a different box, right? Like like you're that's more of an advanced approach, right? You're not just out there looking for something straight, and you see the seams, and, and you go after it. But like Davis showed you an approach, and I think that's that's a good point from you that, that that's why he probably deserves more everyday looks. Yeah, and I thought a couple other guys. Well, first of all, I thought Logan Lacey had a very good weekend. I think he had two multi-hit games, has 11 multi-hit games, and I believe 32 starts this year. Um, you know, like I've said a couple times, I really think he's the glue guy there in the top of the order that protects, um, you know, Nelly and, and Robbie. Um, Nelly had a really good day again. Um, you know, has a crucial double for them in, in the, the fifth inning to tie the game up with two outs and two on. Um the thing I loved the most about it was the fact Nelly got to second base. I mean, it was basically a ground ball to center field that was hit really hard. It got to the center fielder quick. Nelly busted it out of the, out of the box, um, you know, goes head first into second base. And, and I don't know how fast he got there, but he was he's blazing there. And I mean, that's something that this is just another reason why I feel like Nelson is the best cut, catcher in the country and possibly the best position player is because he does these little things for Florida State. It's not just the homers. He does a lot of little things that helps Florida State win games. Um, and all weekend, I really liked the base running for Florida State aggressively, uh, running the bases. And this was my favorite, one of my favorite plays from Nelson the whole season, beating out that double. I was just, I couldn't believe he'd gotten there that quick. And, um, you know, he's beaten out double plays this year. He's done other things for Florida State with his legs. The athleticism this year is just, it's, it's, it's a completely different player. Um, not just the power, but the athleticism is a completely different player. So that was very good to see. Um, and, you know, he comes up with his 20th homer of the year. 
in the eighth inning to give you some insurance, and it was a rocket down the line, uh, no doubter. I mean, if, if it was fair, it was gone. Um, you know, he's you know now he's got the most homers by a Seminole in a season since Posey's 26 in, 20, in 2008. Um, I believe he's also got a hit streak of 10 games after a hit in every game this weekend, 10 or 11 games, can't remember exactly, but – um, yeah, I mean Nelson's. You, you've got a guy. You've got a guy hitting third. That's probably the best. Um, you know, top five player in the country. Absolutely, and you, and you get the series win. Um, you found a way four to two. That's that's big time. Uh, again, Jack Anderson comes back out, finishes the deal. Um, he's becoming almost like your your Swiss Army knife. You can use them wherever you want. Maybe your most valuable pitcher, if you wanna if you wanna use that term. Um, and on a staff that has a lot of valuable pitchers, so. Uh, I like the way that Jack's, you know, trajectory is going. He's he's pitching confidently, and ever since, you know, that start that he had where he against Mercer, where he went like nearly seven full of of no hit baseball, um, he's been a different guy. And so, kudos to those guys. Um, Brett, on the weekend, is there any themes that you want to talk about? I know the bullpen was one, the usage. Um, anything else that that you want to touch on? Yeah, so I'll give you numbers on the uh, pitchers overall. I mean, starters went seventeen two thirds, zero walks, eighteen hits, thirty four Ks. Five earned runs. Bullpen was 9.1 innings pitched, three hits, two walks, nine Ks, and zero earned runs. Um, I really liked the usage this weekend of the bullpen. Um, I know it was some of what we had been asking for a bit. And, um, you know, I asked Meat on Sunday after the game, do you feel like you've taken a major step forward to finding and defining your roles in that bullpen? And he said, honestly, no. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Cruel and Hare are in the lineup and how they have to maneuver that, and they can't really use them as much as they want to use them. So they're still trying to figure out all of it, but I feel like they figured out their path towards success recently and who they really want to use in these big moments and how they want to use some of their veteran guys. And, um, you know, I, I, I really liked it. I liked how they um, used Jonah in a big situation against a lefty like they needed to. Um, you know, I'll be – interested to see how they use Clayton once they get him back how they also use him and how they use Dunn once he's back but um you know the way they use Chase in a big moment when they needed to um and then the way they use they let Dunn go out there and kind of prove himself in a bigger moment um I just I just really enjoyed every bit of it uh, I thought it was the best I personally thought it was the best weekend Florida State's had as arms the whole season I know it's not I know it's Troy it's not an ACC series but the only one I think can stack up against it is Virginia and I felt that Troy probably had a deeper lineup than Virginia. I know it's probably crazy to say, but if you look at the numbers, I mean, Virginia is really struggling offensively. I think Troy's probably gave you a bigger test than, than Florida State did. And, um, I mean, than, than Virginia gave. I mean, you can walk, you walk two people in 27 innings. I don't think you could ask. I don't. If you asked Jimmy Ballinger, I don't think he could have. He would have told you they could have pitched any better this weekend. So really good staff, folks. Like I, I just keep going back to it. They're going to give you a shot. Uh, I mean, I'm expecting it now. Every weekend, Florida State will be in it because of that that staff. And Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, Connor Grady. Name me a better trio in the conference. Um, maybe Virginia's are, is really good, but I, I I even would just still take my guys. So uh, big time. I've got two more themes from the weekend. Go for it. I just mentioned a little bit before, but I really enjoyed the way Florida State ran the base pass this weekend. Um, you know, Saturday, I think they had three steals. That was really good to see Meat start to do that. Um, I think uh, Elijah had two of those, and I think Quill had one. Um, you know, on Sunday, there was a really good dirt ball read by Robbie that set up a third and second no-out situation. Um, you know, as soon as the ball hit the dirt, he was gone, and Catcher really had no chance. And Nelly, I think 
Um, who was it by? I think it was Cabell behind him that also went. Um, and then there was a, like I said, Nelly's double. There were a couple other times I thought Florida State was aggressive on the base pass. And, you know, Meat said he liked the way they run, but he also felt like they could have even been more aggressive. And they want that constant pressure and the constant pressure. And I think if they can get more of that constant pressure, it will help them to be not so home run reliant. I still think this is a home run reliant team, but if they can get constant pressure on the base pass, it won't be as reliant, I think. Yeah, that was that was another one of those notes that I made too. Was was it looked like the Knolls ran the bases more aggressively um, this weekend? So we'll see how that goes. And um, Knolls take two of three. They move up in the polls and they now try and get to a, a Notre Dame team that that's really good. Brett, I've got one more note from the weekend. Go for it. I just felt like a lot of the offensive lack of production had to do with, um, you know, Robbie Martin can't really find much ball luck right now. Um, He's putting the ball on a higher rate than he had at the start of the season. Um, doesn't He's not striking out much. I think he's putting together good at-bats. He just can't – between Georgia Tech's shift and some hard-hit balls right to people this weekend, he can't really – he's having struggled to get a ball to drop. Um, you know, I think he was 0 for 9 this weekend. When you get 0 for 9, it changes that offense a lot more, and I think you're not going to have many weekends when Robbie goes 0 for 9, so you don't worry about that long-term. And I don't – you know, I don't think Robbie's ever going to be a long-term worry. I just think – you know, right now, what he needs to see is he needs to see a blooper drop. He just needs to see some soft contact drop for him. And I think, you know, he'll get back on the path that he needs to be. And um, when he's when he's going as he's usually is behind Nelson, I think it's it has a chance to be a dangerous lineup, especially with Cabello as well, hitting the way he is right now. I think we talked about it earlier in the year. One of the people we're least worried about is Robbie Martin. So I expect him to figure it out. And if this is the, you know, quote unquote, the slump, for Robbie Martin, I think uh, when he comes back on a hot streak, that's going to be a perfect time for Florida State baseball. Hey, maybe it might happen this weekend, Brett, at Notre Dame, because this is arguably going to be Florida State's biggest weekend series of the year. I mean, Louisville was. Notre Dame actually um, now has jumped Louisville as the team to beat in the ACC. And so um, we will talk about that series right after we talk to uh, Florida State's Baseball play-by-play guy for the radio side of things, Eric Llewellyn, who was so kind enough to join us, and um, love to hear from Lulu. So, all right, Lulu, I, I want to first before you know we get into this season and, and your perspective um, on this Florida State baseball team. Um, a lot of the people listening to this podcast know who you are. They, you know, they're they're mowing the lawn on a Saturday, or they're uh, doing chores around the house, or in the car, you know, driving to the ballpark, or around their their hometown, like I am at that times, and. Um, they have your voice, you know, going on in the, in the airwaves. And so, um, but those of you who don't know maybe how you started, can you give us a little bit of a background on how Eric Allen ended up becoming the voice of Florida State Baseball? Well, it, it probably goes back to mid-90s. I started at, uh, at, at what was at the time um, a station owned by Paxson Communications, and that was 1270 AM. And Paxson had the contract with FSU, uh, they owned five stations. Paxson sold out to Clear Channel, which is now iHeart. And um, I, I was working in sales for 1270. Uh, Lee Bowen was doing afternoons, and he would miss some time because of baseball. And I had gone in, and I, I would go in and sit in with him during his show and talk football with him, that kind of thing, because of the, the football background. And um, when, the, when the stations were sold by Paxson to Clear Channel, they made a bunch of changes. One of them was that they made Lee the news director for all five stations, which meant he had to be there at 
you know, five, five thirty in the morning, uh, to have the news stuff put together for all the different stations for the morning shows. And they were going to just put 1270 on a just automated, you know, some national syndicated show in the afternoon. And the rest of the sales staff went in and said, Hey, why don't you put, put Lulu on? And the guy who was the interim GM, I, I'd met him a couple of times, but he didn't really know me. And uh, we sat down and talked and I ended up uh, starting to do afternoons and it went from two hours to three hours to four hours. Uh, eventually Jeff Cameron was added to the, uh, to the roster there. He was doing mornings. At one point we had Jeff from six to 10, uh, Rick Ballou from 10 to, uh, I think 10 to 10 to one, I believe. And then I was three to seven, um, you know, all local shows. And, uh, it was a pretty fun time to be around that radio station. Um, Cameron ended up moving to afternoons in 2003, no, 2000, what year did Jeff, I, I can't remember what year he moved to afternoons now, 2002, it's 2002, and um, I started doing some stuff on the weekends, and then I worked in uh, a completely different field, but kept doing pregame shows with Jeff before football. Uh, I would fill in on occasion for Gene Deckeroff on basketball. Um, and then uh, Steve Molesky had done baseball from 2005 and 2006. And in January of 2007, kind of at the last minute, he got a job as the either the station manager or program director for the ESPN radio affiliate in Baltimore. And he took that and left. And it was really... Uh, two or three weeks before the 2007 season started. And they kind of did a real quick last minute search <clears throat> and I threw my name in the hat and really my, you know, my, my play by play experience was filling basketball and arena football. Um, I, I'd never, I, I've always been a big baseball guy. I played baseball in high school, uh, but I'd never done any baseball on the radio and I threw my name in and it ended up that it was, uh, they, they chose both Tom Block and me, and we split the games in half. We did some, we, we did a handful of games together, but then we split the rest of the schedule in half. And um, that was kind of how that happened. And uh, that was 2007. So here it is, 2021. I, Tom switched jobs back in, I think, prior to, I want to say 2014. Um, so I moved into doing all the games at that point. And, um, yeah, that, that's how we arrived at where we are today. And I know you played f football for Florida State, you know, 86 to 89, and then you get to, to play for, for one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest coach of all time in, in college football. Just what were those years like at Florida State playing on the offensive line? I, you know, it, it, it's funny because the whole recruiting process, uh, Florida State in 85, uh, I want to say – we finished eight and four. That was my senior year in high school. Um, we were 79 and 80 were the, the two back-to-back -back seasons in the orange bowl, which was the, the height of Florida state's football program to that point. Um, they were going to bowls on a regular basis and winning, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine games a year, but you can really tell uh, just the, the attitude around the program, the recruiting class in 85, you can really 
kind of, there, there was just a sense that something was brewing here. Um, I, I love the way I got along with the rest of the team when I was up here visiting, when I came up for games, uh, things like that. And it just kind of felt like the right place. And then being around it, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. You, you, while it's going on, look, you're, you're part of a team. You guys go out there and, and we won a bunch of games. And I, I don't know that you think about it from a, from a big picture standpoint. And I, I think the first time that I ever thought about, wow, you know, what was I really a part of in those four years? Because we went seven, four and one in 86. And then that string of consecutive 10 plus win seasons and top five finishes began in 1987. Uh, we went 11 and one, um, 11 and one, 11 and one and, and 10 and two, those last three years. And I, I had an opportunity to interview Bob Baumauer, um, which Aria, I don't know if you know who Bob Baumauer is, but a lot of people listening will know who, <laughs> but he was, uh, he played at Alabama. He was a pro bowler for the Miami dolphins. He was part of the uh, undefeated, Dolphins Super Bowl championship team. Um, and I was interviewing Bob and I said, you know, what was it like playing for, for Bear Bryant? You know, the, that's, that's Bear Bryant. I said, you played for Bear Bryant. You played for John Don Shula. What was that like? And he said, you played for Bobby Bowden. You tell me. And that was the first time that it really hit me. I was like, wow. You know, the, the, you know, again, I was aware that, that, I was a part of some great teams, but, but looking at it big picture as to what that was really, what that meant in the grand scheme of college football history to, to be a part of something like that. Uh, that was the first time I really thought about it. And it, it's, you know, you looking back on it now, you go, wow, that was, that was really something. That was quite a time. I mean, not many people can say they, they played for Bobby Bowden on the gridiron. And then you do play by play for arguably the greatest college coach, in baseball of all time and, and Mike Martin senior at 11. I mean, just uh, how much pride do you take in, in having been around those two guys? It's, I, you know, I playing for Bobby Bowden was, was certainly something and, and having opportunities over the years to interview coach Bowden um, and, and all of those things that, that I was able to do uh, due to the, the talk show and, and things of that nature. It was really cool uh, but it, it was really something to to work with um, with eleven, and to be able to be a part of that. I, I I always liked him when I was playing football, and and because of uh, my time in high school playing baseball, I you know I, I paid close attention to the baseball team here. Uh, I went to games all the time. I talked to Coach Martin quite a bit. Um, got to know Chip Baker. I. I, I Hey, I, I took theory and practice of coaching baseball from Chip Baker back in like the spring of 80 or the fall of 87 or the fall of 80, I think fall of 87. So whatever year Chip turned 30, I was in his class when that happened. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it really truly was an honor and a privilege to, to sit down with that guy. And, and not only the things that we recorded, talking baseball with him, talking about the Knowles, uh, talking about all of those things before every game, but you know the the times that we sat on a bus or that we sat in the the coach's clubhouse or we sat on the couches down there and just talked baseball, not even specific to FSU, but just talked baseball. That that's really it's one of the coolest experiences that that I think I've had in sports to be able to do those things with with a lot. And Lulu, you know, I mean. Uh... 
you've been uh, you've been a big mentor for me, you know, just coming up in, in the industry and and learning from you a little bit. And, and you know, I relate to you on on some big moments, just as fellow play by play guy. That um, there are certain moments that we will always hold in our hearts. You know, a, a, a game that we got to call or, or a moment that we were able to to be able to be the voice of. And and you've been to so many college world series now, just with Florida State. But is any more special than than what you got to call at LSU with Mendoza's? Uh, RBI hit to win it in extras in that atmosphere, the context of 11's final year. Um, where yeah. does that rank all time in your career and things that you've been able to call? Yeah, that that's pretty high up there. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I remember we got to Athens for the regional that year and uh, Kyle Peterson was doing color for ESPN. And I saw Kyle and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised you, you know, you're at this regional. And he said, and, and you know, at that time you're the two seed in Athens, and obviously you're not necessarily the favorite to get out of there. And, and Kyle said, look, if this is the end, I want to be here for it. And, um, you know, he, he, he said that to me in Athens and I went, wow, you know, that's God, all of those times that season that we thought about that being the, the end of the line for, for 11 and having it be on the road in a regional somewhere, it didn't quite feel right. And so when he, he said that, I was like, man, we, we gotta, we gotta win this. We, we gotta, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough road, but we got to figure out a way to do this. And of course we, we went through one first three games in Athens to advance to the super regional. And then there's Kyle again at LSU. And I looked at him and I kind of laughed. He said, same reason why I was in Athens, <laughs> you know, he was going to make sure that he was there for that. And, and then I, I don't think anybody would have expected us not only to, to win that super regional, but to do it in two games uh, and, and to do it the way we did, walk off win in the second game, and Mendoza getting that hit, and and getting that team, and getting eleven to Omaha in his final year. And look, I, we all would have loved the the Cinderella story and the fairy tale ending, and, and winning the whole thing, and 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 having that happen in eleven's final year. But uh, it, it's it, I'm happy that that ended in Omaha, and I'm happy that that I got to be a part of that and got to call those moments. And, and, you know, now as we record this today, we're, we're at uh, the anniversary of when he, when he became the all-time winningest coach in college baseball history. Uh, we, today is the anniversary of that is I saw that in my, my time hop, uh, you know, the, the tweets after that game at Clemson. Uh, so getting, getting a chance to be a part of that, uh, getting a chance to be a part of, of different milestones throughout his career, I, I think has been really, it's been something. Let's talk about more milestones, Lulu, because, I mean, you're also witnessing, um, as we kind of transition now into to more of the 2021 team, you're witnessing one of the great all-time seasons, I think, by not just a seminal catcher, but by a seminal player with what Matt Nelson's been able to do. Um, what's it been like to call that and to watch him 20 home runs and 57 RBIs before the Knowles play Notre Dame? Because Nelly's starting to put together, if it's not exactly a Buster Posey-like season, um, defensively, he's starting to play really well, too, and, and control the run game. Uh, it's pretty darn close. It's yeah, and you, you've got to put the the context of the bat difference into right. the, the equation as well. Uh, and that's not to take away anything from from Buster and the season that he had in two thousand eight. Um, but you know, I, do, does Buster have that batting average that he had that year with with today's bats? I I, I don't know. Uh, does he have 26 home runs that year with today's bats? I, I don't know that either. I, I think Nelly kind of this production by him kind of snuck up on us all a little bit because of, 
you know, we're used to looking back and judging the context of a season based on a full season, based on the results that we have for a full year. And, you know, at some point I, I remember going back and, and I was having a text conversation with a, a friend of mine who's a big FSU baseball fan. And um, we were talking about the, the BB core bats and the most home runs that, that somebody has hit with those bats. And that's, you know, I went and looked up, um, you know, from 2011 through 2020, and obviously nobody was going to do it in 20, but from 2011 through 2019, I, who had the most home runs? And, and that was Mendoza was 16. And uh, I brought that up with Stephen McCartney and uh, the, the SIDU does such a great job for Florida State. And Stephen went back and he goes, now I wonder how many games it took everybody to get to those levels. And so he went back. His project started just as a, how many games did it take Mendoza to get to 16? And then it kind of morphed into when did everybody get to home run number 15? Because I think he, uh, Nelly had just gotten to 15 at the time and he started to look that up and he ended up going through, through all of Florida state history and finding where Nelly ranked in number of games that it took him to get to 15 home runs. And it's uh, pretty phenomenal that he was able to do what, what he did. And he hasn't shown really any signs of slowing down. That's the thing. Uh, you know, Buster, uh, Meat brought it up in a in a post game press conference that that Buster, you know, he, he wasn't sitting on eighteen home runs forty games into the season. He went on a roll the second half of the year and really went on a tear in the post game. He had seven home runs in the final nine games of the postseason that year. So he went into postseason with nineteen home runs. Well, here's Nelly; he's already at twenty, and we've still got what fourteen games left. Um, so I, you know, I think you, you put those numbers into the context of the bat differences. And, and I tell you what, it, it, it's a heck of a year, but the thing about it is it, it's not just happening on the offensive side. Uh, certainly, you know, Nelly's not going to be a 30, 30 guy like Jaden Drew was in 1997. That's just not, it's not his game. It's not what he's going to do. Uh, but I think when you, you look at the combination of what he does at the plate, um, what he does behind the plate, and you mentioned controlling the running game, and he's, he's thrown out, uh, I think, right at 50% of uh, attempted base stealers. Uh, that's such an asset to have as a coach for me to know that, you know what, my, my pitchers and my catcher are going to keep the other team's running game in check. And, and to know that they can do that, because not only do they, they keep it in check, they, they, they keep other teams from even trying it. Uh, that that's what that does. And uh, that that's such a, I, yeah. I think an underrated part of it, but it's also the, it's, it's handling the pitchers. It's giving the pitcher the confidence of knowing, you know, it's a, it's a one, two count and I can bounce a curveball or a slider in there and try to get a guy to, to swing at a pitch that he doesn't have a chance of hitting. Because I know, even though there's a guy on third that Matt Nelson's going to stop that and keep it from going to the wall and, and letting a run score. And, and that's invaluable to a pitching staff as well. You look at now this, this pitching staff too, and, and they're really good. I mean, they're one of the top five pitching staffs in the country, certainly the best in the ACC. Um, Lulu, what do you make of this, this Florida State team? I, I mean, obviously the, the hitting for average, I think we can accept, may not be at the highest levels that we've ever seen at Florida State, but they, they really do get the ball over the fence. I mean, they hit the long ball. They've, they've been able to create damage. Uh, and with the staff that they have on the mound, um, it's been, it's been enough in a lot of ball games. Well, that's the thing you, you get a, you get a higher margin for error 
from a standpoint of what you're you're producing at the plate when uh, you have a guy like Parker Messick going out on Friday and doing what he does and holding that other team in check. Um, it, it does create a, a little more wiggle room for you on the offensive side of things if you're struggling. And, and uh, yeah, you know, this lineup's had its struggles. Uh, certainly, uh, boy, it'd be nice to see what a, a, a healthy and playing the way we expect uh, Reese Albert would do in this lineup. Um they've had some other, you know, what would a, a Matt Nelson who hasn't been banged up all year, what would he be looking like at the plate right now? Um, so I, you know, I, I think that, that they've had to fight through some issues um, from a personnel standpoint on the offensive side of things, uh, but you can better handle that when you pitch the way that Florida state does. And it, and it hasn't just been the starters. Um, you know, Bryce Hubbard was so good in a loss on Saturday uh, Connor Grady, you know, struck out 13 and in five innings on Sunday and, and being able to roll out three guys like that on the weekend, I, I think is a bonus. But when you, uh, when you, when you know, you can shut things down in the sixth and seventh innings, or when you know that, Hey, in the, the rare event that, that one of these starters has an off day and you got to go to the bullpen in the, in the fourth inning and you can bring a guy like a Jack Anderson in there or, a Hunter Purdue or, or somebody like that, or, or close things down at the end uh, with Davis Hare or, or bring in Chase Haney in a, in a tough situation to, to get some outs. Um, all of those things, I, you know, I think top to bottom, this pitching staff has shown that they're, they're really, really built to put up some some very impressive numbers and they've done that uh, leading the ACC in ERA leading the ACC in fewest runs per game leading the ACC in strikeouts leading the ACC in fewest hits per game um, so all of those things I, I think uh, pretend well for Florida State um, once we navigate through this tail end of the season and I, you know I, I think it'll be interesting you got to get to the postseason but I, I think that it'll be interesting once uh, we get there what this team can do uh, based on how much pitching is valued once you get to the postseason absolutely Lulu and uh, we'll wrap it up here in just a couple minutes I do want to get your thoughts quickly uh, give me some keys to, to Florida State against Notre Dame obviously you got two former roommates with Link Jarrett and yeah. uh, Mike Martin Jr. going up against each other and what a job um uh, Link has done uh, with the Irish. I mean, uh, what can you say about what he's been doing in his career as a coach? But for Florida State to come away with at least two wins this weekend uh, up there in Notre Dame, well, what do you expect and, and what do you think needs to happen? Well, I, I think if you if you get a lead on them, you've got to keep the the you've got to keep the pedal down. Um, I don't think you can get a. They've shown time and time again this year that that they'll come from behind, and it doesn't even matter. It, it can be the third inning, and they're trailing by a bunch. And they'll they'll just nibble at it, nibble at it, and and take the lead there at the end of the game. They can be down a bunch in the seventh or eighth inning and come from behind that way. Uh, they can do all of those things. So I I think if you get a lead on them, you've got to kind of keep your foot down. Um, you, you just can't let up, and uh, I think that's an important thing. I think they're going to have to get good starts uh, out of out of all three of the guys, um, out of Messick, Hubbard, and, and Connor Grady this weekend because this is a this is a Notre Dame ball club that really feeds off of its offense. Um, so I, I think you've got to set the tone there, and and I 
you know, I, I don't mind having first at bat the way this team has uh, really since that Virginia Tech series come out and gotten on top of opponents. Uh, I, you know, so I think if you you get early leads and and get the starters to pitch into the fifth, sixth, seventh innings, um, yeah, I, I like our chances in this one. But it, it's, I you know, the, the pitching staff's really going to have their hands full this weekend with the Notre Dame lineup. Yeah, in many ways, they they remind me a little bit um, of that Georgia Tech lineup. You know, just tough, scrappy, and I thought Florida State played pretty well uh, in Atlanta um, with that lineup uh, that that James Ramsey heads up. So. Um, a lot of former Seminoles everywhere in the ACC these days. Um, and uh, Lulu should be a lot of fun. I know you'll, you'll be on the call there. Uh, for those who don't know and, and, and would like to listen to, to more of your games, where can they find you and uh, where can they find you personally uh, on social media? Uh, Eric Llewellyn is the Twitter handle, just uh, E-R-I-C-L-U-A-L-L-E-N. And then uh, the games, uh, all of them will be on 100.7 WFLA locally. Uh, you can go to the FSU Game Day app. Uh, and get the games that way. You can also go to TuneIn and find the games that way. Uh, you can go to the schedule page at Seminoles.com and uh, pull up the games online that way as well. And uh, 6 o'clock Friday, 7 o'clock on Saturday, and 12 noon, I believe, on Sunday. And I'll be on 15 minutes prior to each one of those. All right. He is Eric Llewellyn, radio voice of Florida State Baseball. Uh, quite a while now, and uh, we do appreciate him for joining us here on Sunday Gold. Lulu, appreciate your time. All right. Thanks again to Lulu for joining us, and uh, man, he's he's been a, a part of Florida State baseball. I think it's synonymous uh, with the program, right? Lulu on the call, and I know there's a lot of people that on their Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays are just walking around the house or in their they're in their car, and um, they're doing some errands, and they've got Lulu's voice popped on on the radio side of things, and he's done it for a while, and he's done a great job for a while. So um, he was actually huge for me um, when I first got into broadcasting. He would let me sit in the booth with him and, and kind of listen and, and get a feel for baseball play-by-play. So he's been instrumental uh, in my career um, and a mentor for me, and, and uh, he, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to call him a friend. He's, he's a really great guy and uh, loves Florida State baseball like no other, loves Florida State athletics, and again, thankful for him um, as, as my career has progressed. All right, well, Brett, let's talk a little bit about these Notre Dame fighting Irish. Uh, are you in the ACC? Are you not in the ACC? We can save that argument for another day. That seems more of a football thing. And the baseball side of things, uh, this Irish team is led by someone you all know. I think those of you who are FSU baseball diehards and have been around the program and, and followed this program for a long time. You know the name Link Jarrett. And Link Jarrett was uh, a Seminole from 91 to 1994. I actually had a funny phone call with Chip Baker, uh, Florida State's director of baseball ops. Everybody knows Big Shooter, um, a good friend of mine, and he does the broadcasts with me on AC Network Extra as my color analyst. But Chip has a memory like no other. And so I asked him, I was like, can you give me some some anecdotes on Link Jarrett before I go on this podcast, because Brett, uh, you are young, but I am also young. <laughs> I was born in 1994, and so Link's final year, final year in Tallahassee was 94, and Chip was like, I got to lead off with uh, the fact that he's from Tallahassee and went to Florida High, uh, and his dad used to actually ride his bike to the park every single day. Um, they lived off Gaines Street, and, and he would, you know, ride his bike to, to, to Hauser and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, said that he taught him how to he, – he, he hit fungo to him every day, and, and Link Jarrett was, was a, was a big-time Seminole, folks. If you didn't know that uh, Link is actually first all-time 
in the NCAA in career put, uh, I believe it's career assists that he's number one. And Brooks Badeau is actually third in that same category, another Seminole. So um, just learning about Link, it was kind of cool to hear from from Big Shooter on that stuff. And um, yeah, I didn't even know, I didn't know that they were roommates. Uh, Link and Meat were actually roommates in college. And um, they played with Eduardo Perez, Pedro Grafol, and Link ends up being a, uh, an All-American at Florida State in his time, uh, one of the best defensive infielders the Seminoles have, have, have ever had. And, um, man, what a job he's done, Brett, in his career now. He, you know, he was an assistant for Florida State to start, um, has made his way through you know, East Carolina, Auburn, um, and then all of a sudden you know, he, he gets his major shot with um, UNC Greensboro, which, by the way, the athletic director of UNC Greensboro – uh, is another former Seminole, Kim Record, who uh, is the athletic director now in, in Greensboro. And she was uh, a Florida State senior athletics administrator here um, for a while. So she hires him. And UNC Greensboro, Brett, has always been known as a team that could hit. They always led the country in like average, doubles, all that stuff. And so Link gets his shot with Notre Dame. And I believe now, what's this? Is this year two or three for Link? I want to say it's year two. And Link has got them... An incredible team. First in the ACC, they're 24 and 8, 21 and 8 in the ACC, uh, just swept North Carolina, and they're now in first because uh, Louisville got swept at Clemson. So, Brett, when you look at this, this Notre Dame team, and it's, it's always a unique game on the schedule, especially when you play them up there. The weather's going to be tough. Uh, this weekend is actually better than normal. <laughs> It's actually not going to be snowing, and it won't be frigid. It'll be in the mid-50s, I believe, to, to high 50s. There is some rain in the forecast for Saturday and Sunday, but that could move away as we get closer to first pitch on Friday and, and to the weekend. But, um, Brett, this FSU team's going to have its hands, hands full with, with the Irish. Yeah, for sure. And um, I'm interested to see how, how, how Meade and, and Link kind of attack each other because from reading some things, it sounds like – you know, Notre Dame is a lot like Florida State philosophy, philosophy-wise with, with Jarrett there. And, um, you know, I was reading something and it said, you know, what Notre Dame does so well is they take what they should take and they swing at what they should swing at. And I said, I feel like I've heard that before somewhere. And, I mean, that is, that, that's exactly what Meat wants. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame's got some athletes. They run the base as well. They're a really good fielding team. Um, seems like they just do the little things well. And, just just outwork people and outgrind people through series. And, I mean, they're just a really tough team to beat um, in a series, and especially in Notre Dame. I mean, I don't think they've lost an ACC series all year. So this is it, it's going to be as tough as it gets for Florida State, I think. They're unique too, Brett. They've only played 32 games all year. Um, they've been hit hard by, you know, uh, cancellations. Um, they've actually played, I believe, um, let's see here, 29 of their 32 games or ACC games, so not a lot of non-conference play for Notre Dame this season, which to me is what's so impressive about a 21-8 and ACC record. Um, they split with Louisville. Uh, I believe their third game got postponed due to weather, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they split that series, but uh, they're ranked number two by Baseball America folks, and I think they're ranked top 10 by j just about everyone, definitely top 15 by everyone. Um, but they're no joke. They're playing really good baseball right now. And they can hit it 276 as a team. They've got some pop, 40 home runs as a team. They get on base, 379 as a team. 
Brett mentioned they field. Uh, guys, 985. That's as good as it gets in college baseball. Uh, I didn't look up the, the rankings to see who the number one team in the country was, but I'm pretty sure Notre Dame's at least top five or top ten. Like, there's no way you can be that much better uh, than 985. So, elite, elite defensive team. They don't make mistakes. Um, let's talk about their offense first. Uh, it starts with Carter Putts, uh, 349 batting average. Ryan Cole, 337. Uh, Jack Brannigan, Brett, 310. And then the big bat in their lineup, 308 with 15 bombs. Uh, it feels like he's been around a while. Nico Cavadas. Yeah, I mean, Cavadas is definitely the star for them. I mean, that's the guy that you hear about every time someone mentions Notre Dame. But, yeah, I mean, they've got so many guys that, that can swing it. Um, you know, Putts, 350 or 349. I mean, also slugging 519 has, you know, nine doubles, two triples, and three homers. Um, they don't have much power depth, but they do have a lot of guys that can put pressure on you. They have a lot of guys that get on base at a high rate. They have a lot of guys that put the ball in play at a high rate. Um, I mean, Cavadas has got 36 walks. That's up there with, with Tyler's numbers. I think it's second in the ACC in the walks, um, 483 on base percentage for him. Um, you know, got a couple, you know, one guy with 10 stolen bases, uh, one guy with eight, another guy with seven, six. I mean, you go down, up and down this lineup and you've got guys that can run the bases and, um, you know, you, you hope that Nelson shuts that down again. And I think he can, but I mean, it, it's going to be another deep lineup, but, um, you know, like I just, I, you, I don't think you faced a, a staff like Florida state yet. And I, I'll be interested to see how they respond to facing Florida State staff and the depth in which Florida State can bring some power at you. Yeah, Jared Miller's another guy, Brett, three, uh, excuse me, 298 batting average. Um, he can do some damage. And then Spencer Myers, 273. So those are the guys right now that you keep an eye on. I feel like Myers has been there for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of them that I think. Ryan Cole has had to have been there a while. Uh, I remember that. I think that Cole name. had a walk-off against Louisville. I think he's had two walk-offs this year, actually. Yeah. This lineup reminds me a lot, Brett, of, of Georgia Tech, actually, in a lot of ways. Similar batting averages. Um, they have power, but not a not a ton. Maybe not as much um, spread-out power throughout the lineup. Yeah, uh, Cavadas really mm -hmm. does the heavy lifting. Um, but I look at the walks to strikeouts. I look at the strikeouts specifically, and it's what we mentioned with Georgia Tech. We said, man, they are really tough to strike out, and they put a lot of balls in play. So Georgia Tech had one of the better offensive weekends against Florida State's pitching staff. Um, of any ACC team. So uh, this one's on the road. Florida State has played well on the road this season. I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's a business trip type mentality where they're all kind of together in a hotel and they focus and they go to the park and feel like the underdog. Um, Frank X Stadium right now, uh, it's a legendary ballpark. Um, it's not that nice, but it's been around a long time. It's got a beautiful backdrop um, in Notre Dame. It's all and, turf, uh, isn't it? Yes, it's going to be interesting. I mean, a lot of those, a lot of those northern schools are turf, all turf fields. Um, the fact that Notre Dame fields at nine eighty five is impressive to me. I mean, they've only given up thirteen unearned runs this year. Yeah, they're thirteen. I mean, that's and a four. large reason they're winning so many of these games. They don't beat themselves. Florida State's going to have to go there and beat them. Yeah, thirteen and four at home too, Brett. So um, they play their home ballpark well. The ball seemingly is is flying out a little bit more this time of year there. I looked at some of their series, and, and some balls are actually leaving the ballpark. So maybe that plays into Florida State's advantage. Um, look at Let's look at their staff, too. Um, it's a very unique style of pitching in that they really use a lot of different starting pitchers. Um, and really, other than John Bertrand, I believe, who goes Saturdays for them, 
Um, they have really tried to mix and match guys for four. So what, like two two guys will go like four innings or something like that, and they try to piece together multiple guys who can go um, extended innings. Yeah, so Notre Dame's had to make some big adjustments this year um, with their staff. Um, you know, their Friday ace was done for the season after two starts. Um, their closer was done for the season before the year started. Um, so they have a thin staff. They really only use seven guys, basically. Um, you know, like you said, some of those are kind of tandem starter guys, but it seems that Friday um, lately has been Will Mercer will start, Tanner Colehap will be there you know, that, that second guy for them. And they'll kind of be just the two guys they use. And then Saturdays it will be John Bertrand starting and Alex Rao. I don't know exactly how to say that, but something like that um, will be that guy that follows him. And it, I mean, that's basically, you know, they just kind of do it like that the whole weekend. They got Sheridan as their third starter and Aiden Tyrell will just be his guy that goes after him. Um, so be interesting to see if Florida State tries to work these guys and get past those top seven because there's really – not much of anything after that because um, of their injuries. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 kind of tough to figure out. It's probably tough to prepare for, I would think. Um, you know, I think all three of their lefties will be lefty starters, which is not great for Florida State. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think you could see Isaiah Perry a lot in center field with lefty starter. You probably see here every day in the lineup. Um, you know, believe Isaiah will be ready, we think. But – um, it's just, it's, it's a weird, it's weird to how you go to approach this, this, uh, Notre Dame pitching staff. They're hard to figure out for sure. Um, and, and just like a team that you would expect with an elite defense, they don't walk a lot of batters. This is a, they're going to pitch to contact. They're going to, they're going to try and get ground balls and they're going to let those guys do what they do. And that's eat it, gobble it up, throw it to first and, and get you through. So um, the home run could be huge for Florida State this weekend. If they could hit, you know, what they do against Georgia Tech, seven or eight on the weekend, something like that, I think it was. Obviously, Matt Nelson Matt Nelson could be the best player in this series. I mean, probably is. So he could change it with one swing of the bat always. Um, but, yeah, I, I expect Friday to be low scoring. I expect Saturday to be – I expect all three of these games to be pretty low scoring. Um, I know Notre Dame has kind of recently had some offensive outbursts, but I think those are more um, – you're not going to score 19 against Florida State. <clears throat> they did that against North Carolina. I just don't see it. So I see some low-scoring games. I see some one-run games. This would be a heck of a time for Florida State to start winning some one-run games. I mean, Brett and I have been saying all year – Meat's been saying it too to whoever media he's talking to is, man, some of these one-run games eventually have to even themselves out. And you know what, Brett? Wouldn't it be amazing if this was the weekend, the one-run games, tilted towards Florida State's favor? Yeah, and that's why I, I liked the way that Florida State won games last week because it's gonna have it's gonna have to it's how they're gonna have to win games this weekend as well. You're you're not gonna just run away from Notre Dame, I don't think. Um, you know, they're too. You know, teams like this just don't fall apart, especially when they're playing this well. Um, you know, they're not gonna beat themselves, like I said, and it's hard to run away against teams like this. And, you know, I think Florida state has made it hard this so far this year for teams to run away from them as well. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I think Florida state will be in these games. It will come down to execution because I think you can expect Notre Dame is going to execute against FSU just because they've executed against everybody so far this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I could see Florida State winning this series. I could see them getting swept. Like I, I see 
scenarios for all of it. It worries me that Notre Dame's defense is so good because they're just not going to beat themselves. Um, Florida State's going to have to be really good defensively this weekend. They just have to because those one-run ball games that are happening or those two-run ball games, man, how many times have you looked back at a, at a critical error from Florida State's defense and said, that could have been the difference right there? Mm-hmm. Because this pitching staff's going to keep you in it. I'm so convinced this pitching staff's going to keep you in it. Parker's going to deal. I think you have the I think you have the advantage on the mound starting against all three of the starters that that Notre Dame throws. That's not to say Notre Dame isn't going to pitch better than you this weekend overall. They might, but Florida State I think should feel good about its starting rotation, and uh, that's not really a Florida State versus Notre Dame thing. I feel good about Florida State starting rotation. Like this is how confident I am right now, Brett. Yeah, Florida, State, Van, Florida State Vanderbilt playing a super regional. I would sit here confidently and tell you I expect Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard and Connor Grady to go out there against their lineup, and I expect them to compete at a very high level. Is that unfair of me to say? No, I don't think it's too far out there. I mean, I mean they've been consistent. I mean, Parker's has 10 straight starts, I believe, of five-plus innings and two earned runs or less. So, I mean, you're going to be in every game one, and when you're in game one, you've got a chance to win every series. Um, and Florida State's, I mean, they've won, what is it, 8 of 11 series this year, so... I mean, if you win series, you're going to keep playing. I mean, that's just how college baseball works. Um, you know, as for Notre Dame's pitching, as we're comparing these two, I believe all three of their lefties are sort of um, pitchability guys. Bertrand is 88 to 90, um, 87 to 90, really. Um, sharp breaking ball. Uh, a couple of these, you know, a couple of these guys that come out of the bullpen do have some gas. Um, Rao is 92-94. Um, low 80s slider. Simon is 91, 93, can touch 94. That's one of their um, spot reliever guys, sort of, um, you know, will kind of be a back end guy for them to get some outs and lots of strikeouts, 30 strikeouts, 23 innings for him. Um, Cole Heppel, who will probably be their long reliever um, slash closer on Friday, is 92, 94, um, can get out up to 95, 96. Um, he also has a cutter and then a, another slider as well, and all of them have good spin rates. So they've got some of these guys that are horses on the mound for the mound of the bullpen. Um, be interesting to see how Florida State attacks. Uh, that's I can kind of think that's why Notre Dame matches up the way they do is because you're going to get two completely different arms on the mound within one game, and it kind of makes it hard on hitters. So it'll be interesting to see how Meat has these guys prepared to, to face kind of those tandem starters um, of Notre Dame. And it's worked for Link, right, all year. This has worked. I mean, you can't you can't cheat your way or fluke your way to 24 and 8 and 21 and 8 in the I ACC. I mean, Colehope has one start and he's, he's, he has seven wins. Yeah, because he comes in yeah. in the fifth inning. Simon has five on one start. Yeah, it's a unique, they have a unique approach yeah. to pitching. It's going to be two guys coming at you, they're going to split time. Um, this Notre Dame team's projected to be a national seed by a lot of people. They're really good. And folks, if FSU wants to host a regional, because um, that's our next segment, real quick, is we're going to touch on um, the postseason picture. Florida State's going to have to try and get at least one game this weekend to help your RPI. If you take two, you set yourself up in a pretty good position, I think, going into Clemson, uh, FGCU and Clemson, to try and uh, close this thing out for FSU. Because um, NC State, that's about to be another opportunity, and um, we'll talk about that at a later date. But, all right, Brett, I want your prediction. Well, I'm going to take Florida State 2-3. or three. Notre Dame's got to lose a series at some point. I'm trying to think. I really believe in this team, man. I don't know what it is, but 
I feel good about FSU on the road. I just do. I was almost right about the Louisville series in the sixth inning when, when Elijah hit the home run. They play better on the road. This pitching staff is, is fantastic. And I don't know what it is, man, but on the road, the hitting just seems to find a, a different gear at times. So I'll also take Florida State two of three. I, I just think we're due. We're due to get a big one on the road. You mentioned it. Notre Dame's due to fall in a series in the ACC. It's a really tough league. Uh, and the league's been all over the place, by the way, this year. Uh, no one no one can really put a finger on who the best team is, right? Like, you think Louisville is, and all of a sudden, Clemson sweeps them three wins. Uh, you think Notre Dame might be, and maybe they are. We'll find out this weekend, won't we? So, all right. Well, Florida State against Notre Dame. Um, looking at, let's see here, uh, game times for the It's Noles. like 6.30, 7.30. Um, Let's see. Don't exactly remember. I think the last one's. I'm one. loading it right now. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, good news and bad news. Uh, good news. All three games are on the ACC network nationally. Uh, that's bad news for some of you <laughs> who don't get it. Um, the bad news is two of the games are at six o'clock and seven o'clock. It's going to be really cold. I said the weather would be better at seven o'clock in Notre Dame. That's like low forties. So. I was kind of hoping that some of these games were at like 2 o'clock. Um, Sunday's game's at noon. You got 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, noon. So if you get the ACC Network, congratulations. All three games will be on cable. Uh, if you don't get the ACC Network, I'm really sorry. Uh, yeah, that's tough. I don't want to get into that. I work for the company a little bit. Um, thankful they have me, Brett, and uh, great network. As we move forward. And we get into the uh, postseason picture form of it. Right now, Florida State has the tiebreaker, I believe, for fourth in the ACC. Yeah, because Georgia right? Tech is the other tied fourth. So the, why that's big is that they're going to do three pods in the ACC tournament. Uh, four pods, excuse me. Four, did I say that correctly? Four pods of, uh, four pods of three, three teams. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Four pods of three teams, and you want to be one of those top four seeds. So... Florida State's holding on to that right now. Uh, looks like Notre Dame and Pitt, if they win their respective divisions, will be one and two. Louisville would be three as of now. And Florida State would be four with the tiebreak over Georgia Tech. And then yet to be seen against Clemson. You get those three games in Tallahassee. So as of today, it's Florida State. Um, yeah, Brett, th th that would be pretty big. You know, and for postseason picture as well, the Knowles still, I think, have a shot to host. It was really big news this week when they announced that, you know, they were only, they were going to announce, what, 20 potential sites and then whittle it down to 16 when they announce, nor like, at a normal date. So if FSU can be one of those top 20 host sites, which I think they will be at this point, it seems like all the rankings have pretty much Florida State at 20 or higher. So you would think that the Knowles will be at least on that preliminary list of host sites. And uh, that gives you a chance and some opportunities now to, to rack up some big-time wins. Yeah, I mean, the RPI, when you look at RPI, you don't think Florida State would be one of those 20. Um, but I just think so much more is going to go into the top 20 other than merit, just because I think if Florida State has any, you know, any argument to be a top 20 team in the nation, which um, they are by all the rankings, that, you know, NCAA, NCAA is going to include Tallahassee as a site, as an option for a site. Um, you know, you don't want to leave Tallahassee out of it, and then Florida State ends up going and winning a, you know an ACC tournament like they have in the past. Um, you know, you have the texting protocols in place here. You 
you know, NCAA knows Tallahassee. They know the money they can make out of Tallahassee with regionals. So I think Florida State will be one of those 20. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see where the season goes from there. Um, I just I, – RPI this year, I just – I don't think you can use it this year. I, I mean, it makes no sense. For example, I mean, Clemson's 51 in RPI. They're 6-17 and 17 against Q1 teams. FSU's 59th in RPI, and FSU's 12-8 and 8 against Q1 teams. And the problem that is killing Florida State is their non-conference, and Clemson's 6-6 six and six in non-conference. Um, Florida State has four losses killing them right now in RPI, basically. It's one to JU, one to UNF, one to Boston College, and one to Troy. I mean, if you take those four losses out, Florida State's RPI is much prettier. Um, you know, their non-conference RPIs is like in the 150s, I think. Um, I think they're 12th of 14th in the ACC and RPI, and that just makes no sense. Um, so I, I just don't think they're going to use RPI very much this year because, I mean, there's other conferences that aren't even playing out of conference. So if you took Florida State's just in conference, I mean, you've won six of nine series in a, in a, in a conference that doesn't really have a super top ACC team that you've played, le- but you've played a lot of good teams so far, in my opinion. Can I give you some more examples? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fairfield is fifth in the RPI out of the Mid-Atlantic Conference. They're 28-1. and one. Strength they of schedule lost. of yeah, strength of schedule of one fifty, RPI of five. Folks, let me go ahead and read out to you who Fairfield has played this season. Um, the strong and mighty, the world beating Canisius, Iona, Quinnipiac, Ryder, Quinnipiac again, Monmouth, ooh Monmouth, Saint Peter's. Oh, Manhattan. <clears throat> Siena. Oh, boy. Niagara, Iona. That's their season. Yeah, we Folks, lost to Niagara last year. I don't care. Um, Brett, their RPI is completely thrown out the window. Canisius. I can guarantee you with all of my life, you can, you can throw me off the Empire State Building uh, if Fairfield gets a region. <laughs> We're post. 59. Canisius is 57. I'm not done yet, Brett. Rhode Island's 54. I got some more points to make. Uh, let's talk about the mighty right state from the Horizon League at RPI 17. Uh, let's talk about um, Indiana State, Missouri Valley Conference at 20 in the RPI. And here's my biggest gripe. Here's why the RPI sucks, at least for this season. Miami, Florida, 24-15 and 15 record, 15-14 and 14 in the ACC, got swept by Florida State at home, RPI of 22. And Florida State's RPI is nearly sixty. And I don't that's even. Why, I don't really think I just, Miami is an is a tournament team right but now. But that's why I'm telling you, you can't trust the RPI like you could normally. I think it's just a weird year, and I think that's the only reason why. Florida, so when people go, well, how could Florida State be in a regional host contention? Because FSU wins a lot of ACC series, and they've won a lot of regular series on the year, and. They've got a pretty good ACC record, and they're a top-four ACC team right now. That's going to hold a lot more weight than Fairfield being 28-1 and against the Sisters of the Poor and the Blind. Like, you know? like that. Uh, so anyway, rant over. I mean, I mean, I just th- looking at some of these D1 baseball, I mean, you've got Charlotte as a host. You've got some of these other you know, small schools at host. I mean, are they gonna, is NCAA going to send teams there, or are they going to send teams – to Tallahassee, Florida, and Dick Hauser, where you, you've seen crowds before, you know what you're going to get. Um, yeah, I just, I'd be surprised if some of these small schools 
um, we're actually getting regionals. Point being, Florida State has so much opportunity coming up. Ari is very triggered right now. I am. I just don't understand how Fairfield has an RPI of five. Monmouth is, is 36. Monmouth is 36. I'm pretty sure I called a series against Monmouth that Florida State played like a few years back, and FSU scored like 70 runs in like three games. I'm not kidding. Like it was, uh, it was a complete bloodbath. Duke is, Duke is 18 and 18 overall, 9 and 15 in the ACC, and they're above a Florida State. Yeah, I, I just think RPI this year will be used as a very loose um, reference point, right? I think there will be, I think, I think standings in the conferences will be huge. Which is why you know you and I are saying if FSU can finish top four in the ACC, that's massive. That usually will garner a, a hosting spot. So, man, how about you win two against Notre Dame and, and really make a case? So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on, Brett? Um, well, it's just one thing. Florida State picked up a commitment yesterday, or a couple of days ago, from a 2023 infielder, um, Braden Martin, out of Maryland. Um, Really consistent performer in all the tournaments he's been in. Um, hasn't played much perfect game, but of the perfect game events he's played, 10 of them, he's made an all-tournament team seven times. Um, left-handed hitter, um, middle infielder, third baseman a bit. Um, relaxed stance, explosive um, trigger at the plate. So a um, little under-the-radar prospect pickup there for Florida State. Um, but, yeah, 2022 through 2024 classes and even 2021, which – they didn't get they weren't able to get out and see much or all really good and um, once Mike Metcalf and these guys are able to get out there this summer with the dead appearing being over um, FSU is going to be a tear on the recruiting trail I think but that's my last note yeah good stuff Brett uh, Florida State Notre Dame six o'clock seven <clears> o'clock <throat> and noon all on the ACC network this weekend big series for the Knowles against number two Notre Dame and uh, thanks again to Eric Llewellyn for joining us on the podcast, uh, kind enough, the voice of Florida State baseball. And uh, please do reach out to us, sundaygoldspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sundaygolds, uh, personally at PrettPN, at Arya Masudi on Twitter. And uh, please do review, give us a review on, on Apple. Um, please do give us a review, um, you know, anywhere else that you can. Send us an email, tell us what you like, what you don't like. Share this with your friends and uh, rate us five stars if you could find it in your heart. And um, I know we had some funky stuff going on with Spotify last week, and we hope to have that resolved uh, going into the future. So appreciate your listenership so far. We're uh, getting into the most important time of the season for Florida State baseball, and it should be a lot of fun to monitor. Until we talk to you early next week, Arya Masudi, Brett Nevitt, and we'll talk to you soon.